Section 1 of Expository Thoughts on the Gospel of St. Mark by J. C. Ryle. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The Gospel Begun by John the Baptist's Ministry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The Beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John did baptize in the wilderness, and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair, and with a girdle of skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey, and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. The Gospel of St. Mark, which we now begin, is in some respects unlike the other three Gospels. It tells us nothing about the birth and early life of our Lord Jesus Christ. It contains comparatively few of his sayings and discourses. Of all the four inspired histories of our Lord's earthly ministry, this is by far the shortest. But we must not allow these peculiarities to make us undervalue St. Mark's Gospel. It is a gospel singularly full of precious facts about the Lord Jesus, narrated in a simple, terse, pithy, and condensed style. If it tells us few of our Lord's sayings, it is eminently rich in its catalogue of his doings. It often contains minute historical details of deep interest, which are wholly omitted in Matthew, Luke, and John. In short, it is no mere abridged copy of St. Matthew, as some have rashly asserted, but the independent narrative of an independent witness who is inspired to write a history of our Lord's works rather than of his words. Let us read it with holy reverence. Like all the rest of Scripture, every word of St. Mark is given by inspiration of God, and every word is profitable. Footnote. St. Mark has the special gift of terse brevity and of graphic painting in wonderful combinations, while on every occasion he compresses the discourse, works, and history into the simplest possible kernel. He, on the other hand, unfolds the scenes more clearly than St. Matthew does, who excels in the discourses. Not only do single incidents become in his hands complete pictures, but even when he is very brief, he often gives, with one pencil stroke, something new and peculiarly his own. Steyer's Words of the Lord Jesus and footnote. Let us observe, in these verses, what a full declaration we have of the dignity of our Lord Jesus Christ's person. The very first sentence speaks of him as the Son of God. These words, the Son of God, conveyed far more to Jewish minds than they do to ours. They were nothing less than an assertion of our Lord's divinity. They were a declaration that Jesus was himself very God and equal with God. John chapter 5, verse 18. 
there is a beautiful fitness in placing this truth in the very beginning of a gospel. The divinity of Christ is the citadel and keep of Christianity. Here lies the infinite value of the satisfaction he made upon the cross. Here lies the peculiar merit of his atoning death for sinners. That death was not the death of a mere man, like ourselves, but of one who is, over all, God-blessed for ever. Romans chapter 9 verse 3 we need not wonder that the sufferings of one person were a sufficient propitiation for the sin of the world, when we remember that he who suffered was the Son of God. Let believers cling to this doctrine with jealous watchfulness. With it they stand upon a rock. Without it they have nothing solid beneath their feet. Our hearts are weak. Our sins are many. We need a Redeemer who is able to save to the uttermost and deliver from the wrath to come. We have such a Redeemer in Jesus Christ. He is the mighty God. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. Let us observe, in the second place, how the beginning of the gospel was a fulfillment of Scripture. John the Baptist began his ministry, as it is written in the prophets. There was nothing unforeseen and suddenly contrived in the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. In the very beginning of Genesis, we find it predicted that, the seed of the woman should bruise the serpent's head. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. All through the Old Testament we find the same event foretold with constantly increasing clearness. It was a promise often renewed to patriarchs, and repeated by prophets, that a deliverer and redeemer should one day come. His birth, his character, his life, his death, his resurrection, his forerunner, were all prophesied of, long before he came. Redemption was worked out and accomplished in every step, just as it was written. We should always read the Old Testament with a desire to find something in it about Jesus Christ. We study this portion of the Bible with little profit, if we can see in it nothing but Moses and David and Samuel and the prophets. Let us search the books of the Old Testament more closely. It was said by him whose words can never pass away, these are they which testify of me. John chapter 5, verse 40. Let us observe, in the third place, how great were the effects which the ministry of John the Baptist produced for a time on the Jewish nation. We are told that there went out to him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan. The fact here recorded is one that is much overlooked. We are apt to lose sight of him who went out before the face of our Lord, and see nothing but the Lord himself. We forget the morning star in the full blaze of the sun. And yet it is clear that John's preaching arrested the attention of the whole Jewish people, and created an excitement all over Palestine. It aroused the nation from its slumbers, and prepared it for the ministry of our Lord when he appeared. Jesus himself says, He was a burning and a shining light ye were willing to rejoice for a season in his light. John chapter 5, verse 35. We ought to remark here how little dependence is to be placed on what is called popularity. If ever there was one who was a popular minister for a season, John the Baptist was that man. Yet of all the crowds who came to his baptism and heard his preaching, how few, it may be feared, were converted. Some, we may hope, like Andrew, were guided by John to Christ, but the vast majority, in all probability, died in their sins. 
Let us remember this whenever we see a crowded church. A great congregation no doubt is a pleasing sight, but the thought should often come across our minds, how many of these people will reach heaven at last? It is not enough to hear and admire popular preachers. It is no proof of our conversion that we always worship in a place where there is a crowd. Let us take care that we hear the voice of Christ himself and follow him. Let us observe in the last place what clear doctrine characterized John the Baptist's preaching. He exalted Christ. There cometh one mightier than I after me. He spoke plainly of the Holy Ghost. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. These truths had never been so plainly proclaimed before by mortal man. More important truths than these are not to be found in the whole system of Christianity at this day. The principal work of every faithful minister of the gospel is to set the Lord Jesus fully before his people, and to show them his fullness and his power to save. The next great work he has to do is to set before them the work of the Holy Ghost, and the need of being born again, and inwardly baptized by his grace. These two mighty truths appear to have been frequently on the lips of John the Baptist. It would be well for the church and the world if there were more ministers like him. Let us ask ourselves, as we leave the passage, how much we know by practical experience of the truths which John preached. What think we of Christ? Have we felt our need of him and fled to him for peace? Is he king over our hearts, and all things to our souls? What think we of the Holy Ghost? Has he wrought any work in our hearts? Has he renewed and changed them? Has he made us partakers of the divine nature? Life or death depend on our answer to these questions. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 End of section 1